Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Here's Nylander in the Oilers' own sharp angle. Shot, he scores! Here's Seaver, great circle, fires, he scores! Oh, it's leveled by Andrew Shaw with a thunderous check. Here's a loose puck in front, they score! It's on! Shoot, he scores! The cat connects with a one-timer. It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Keith will move it ahead to Shaw. To Doc over the Sabre line down the left. He scores! Kirby Doc! Here's Doc with the back and he scores! Kirby Doc! The first two-goal night of Kirby Doc's career. Chris Bowden and Joe Brand break down the latest storylines surrounding your favorite Chicago hockey team. Each game I'm getting better and pushing myself to strive to be better. That's hockey, baby! Here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand. Hello, everyone. Happy All-Star break and happy bye week, everyone. Uh, welcome to a fresh edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. I'm Chris Bowden, your Blackhawks pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio. Joined, as always, by Joe Brand, our crack reporter working the Blackhawks locker room. But we had two of them. Our producer, Curtis Koch, joined us for the big game against Q in Florida since we needed Q covered for postgame as well. And you will hear that. You'll also hear him from pregame. It was a big, long day Tuesday at the United Center in a date and a game that a lot of people had circled immediately when the schedule came out uh, back in the summer. So January 21st, uh, a big one, and the Florida Panthers come away 4-3 victors as they end the Blackhawks' five-game win streak and extend their own win streak to six. But before we dive in further... It's business to take care of thanks to our sponsors. Blackhawks Crazy Podcast is sponsored by FanList. FanList is the best platform for season ticket holders to sell their tickets. Are you a Blackhawks season ticket holder who sells multiple games? Get over to FanList.com slash BlackhawksCrazy, spelled F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com. FanList partners with multiple ticket marketplaces and lists tickets for sale across all marketplaces. All at once. Sites like StubHub, Vivid Seats, SeatGeek, GameTime, and many more, and they do all the work. And for now, for more on FanList, here's Joe Brand. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Well, multiple marketplaces will increase your ticket exposure, causing tickets to sell faster and for higher prices. Plus, FanList is free to use. Registration and listing tickets are free. When tickets sell, FanList charges the industry standard 15% of the final sale price. It's that same rate that all those major marketplaces charge. There's no hidden costs or added fees to use FanList. It's the best way for you as a season ticket holder to sell your tickets. Go to FanList.com slash BlackhawksCrazy to receive a $20 bonus on your first sale. That's F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com slash BlackhawksCrazy. Joe read it better. Joe read it better, I have to admit. Joe reads it better. All right, uh, let's begin. This was a big, long day with a lot of twists and turns and things very interesting. We will hear from Joe Quenville before, as shortly after he entered the United Center once again for the first time as an opposing coach. But let's go way back to the morning skate when, surprise, surprise, you look up and all of a sudden the guy who wears a C on his shirt is wrestling with a guy who wears an A on his shirt. They've won three cups together. Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taves in a little bit of a spar. No punches thrown, but it was more of a 
you said what? Wait, what did you say? And, and all of a sudden we, we see that they're on the ice and they were separated pretty quickly. But it was an interesting twist that I don't think there's any factor in the in the result of this game. As a matter of fact, we've talked to most people, you know, Jonathan himself and Jeremy Carlton himself. He doesn't mind. He kind of likes seeing it for fear of, you know, any letdown heading here into the break. It's very odd. Um, I don't think anyone was expecting anything like that to happen today, let alone any other day. Um, Jonathan Taves kind of chewed it off right away in the uh, pregame scrum after morning skate. Just said, hey, it was just some brotherly fun, some some wrestling, and uh, sometimes you need to get amped up before a big game, so I think we're ready. I you talk to typical hockey people, say, oh, it's part of the game, it's it's something they do. But, uh, yeah, I think Jeremy Carlton wins for the best response uh, on it at all. Yeah, saying, you got brothers? Yeah, I got brothers too. And I have a couple of sons as well. We've seen that movie before. So it was probably about all he needed to say and uh, much ado about nothing, even though it is kind of rare and confusing to see guys who've been together so long uh, take it to that extent out uh, out there for everyone to see. So uh, no harm done. And uh, Robin Leonard got the net. I was a little bit surprised by that from the fact that uh, Jeremy usually puts his guys in, you know, not to face X team, but Corey has such a history with, with uh, Joel Quenville and has a great record against Florida compared to Robin. On top of that, Corey has allowed just uh, five goals against, uh, ten goals against in the last five games. So I was a little surprised that it was Robin Leonard in the net, taking nothing away from Robin. But it's just some of those intangibles. And uh, I thought for sure Corey might get the call. But, in fact, it was Robin Leonard. And you'll hear from him a little bit later on that he was kind of disappointed in his performance and took some of the blame for this 4-3 loss. But then a couple of hours later, Joe Quenville walked into the building surrounded by camera crews and uh, then had a long, what, 15, 18-minute press conference uh, with uh, primarily members of the Chicago media. Of course, we're not going to play all of it for you right here. But let's hear some of his uh, some of his recollections and his feelings early on as he walked into this building for the first time since uh, being let go in November of 2018. Here with uh, a new team and uh, get some of his feelings and recollections. And as always, it was uh, uh, a very gracious and uh, a very uh, much high road taking Joel Quenville as uh, he reflected back on his time here in Chicago. Very successful with really no regrets. Brings back special, a special time in our lives and a special time with the, with the, with the city, with, uh, you know, going through some amazing runs that uh, are so memorable. And uh, so many people shared it, and so many people had uh, played a hand in it, and uh, were responsible for it. And then, uh, so I was very fortunate to, to have that type of uh, uh I'm going to say career uh, time here in Chicago um, and shared with a lot of people and feeling that today. I think the best memories are uh, the runs we had and uh, and almost a pivotal game in every series that either swung it in our favor or was a turning point that got us through it. Uh, and uh, and those things kind of stand out, knowing that uh, the, how challenging and how difficult it was to win each or any cup was uh, definitely the, the things that stood out. And you know, you know, ten. You think of Kaner scoring. You still don't know where the puck is. You think of, uh, you know, you think of the next cup, and it's like, oh my God, we got Boston, and we're in a, you know, we're in a hole. We're in a, we're against it, and that was amazing hockey in that series. And and then you think about some of the series you had to win to get to that far, get that far, and then Tampa. 
you know, the Anaheim series prior to that was an unbelievable tough ta- task. And, you know, you think about, uh, you know, you think about the defense and Dunks and Hammer playing almost the whole game and they're trying to punish them and, and, and they're getting through it. And, and you got a great appreciation for their competitiveness. And um, so it's almost like, I, I think those are the things that stood out, and you know you, the, the, the celebrations, the, the parades were always special as well. And, um, and uh, but the memories of uh, the guys of finding ways to win key games and, and making big plays in key moments. You know, you think of Detroit, Sieb scoring, almost scoring prior to that. Just some some cool moments. I know I was fortunate to to, to have and work with a team that we had. And we had to change on the fly in three different kind of teams over those years. And uh, the players do it. Uh, we're fortunate to retool on the job with the salary cap era that we're able to have four-line teams and have it uh, the depth. And, uh, and at the end, uh, you know, you, it, it takes a lot. But we've had a couple of runs that were disappointing as well, um, some frustrating losses. So it wasn't just all, you know, easy or, or just you know just expect to win it you're going to win it and so we had to had to work in different ways um but i you know i think that at the end of the day the the guys we came in here our leaders the guys that were here through thick and thin led the charge we give the guys a lot of freedom on how to play the game um we still think that there is a rhyme or reason that we all collectively try to instill in the players of doing things the right way um, and the cooperation we had from the guys was outstanding. That was always a, uh, you know, you've you know, been around different teams. You get uh, different challenges as coaches, and uh, I find that this was one of those teams where very coachable. Um, the motivation part of the game was basically uh, as simple as you could imagine, which is not always easy. That uh, that was the one standard that was always achieved without even trying to push or shove or, uh, you know, or demand or beg. That was always in place. So as a coach, you couldn't ask for an easier setup than that. And that's that's kind of the way things were. And uh, so was, you know, they did it. And they, uh, you know, there was a good group to work with. As he was during his time here, Joe, uh, Joel always downplaying, you know, his role in all of this. Again, being very gracious, saying, you know, it was the players who motivated themselves through all this. Uh, they were the guys who were really the the uh, motivating force behind those those Stanley Cup runs. And also, it was really interesting to to say, obviously, those times when you win the cup and you're raising the cup and the parades are all great. But I thought it was real interesting him talking about uh, the memories he has uh, the most or that are most vivid are of those games along the route to a Stanley Cup, those those times that things are uncertain or those must-win situations, whether it's being t- down 2 nothing in a series against St. Louis or um, being down 3-2 against the Anaheim Ducks in, uh, in 2015 in the Western Conference Final or that 2013 series against the Detroit Red Wings, um, fighting through. Um, and he didn't even bring up the Nashville first-round series in 2010. Uh, and, and I think that gives you a sense of... What makes these guys really tick? Yes, there's all the glory and that feeling of raising the cup, but there's also those moments of uncertainty where everyone across the entire city is nervous, thinking, oh, no, this is the end right here. And there were spots in each of those three cup runs where they were able to overcome and prevail. I think we trimmed the best of what Quinville said during that pregame press conference because... You're right. It, when fans reminisce on a, a, a long season, a championship season, they do think about the times where it looked like everything was going to go the wrong way and then your team prevails and, and comes out on top. 
You mentioned the 2010 series against Nashville with with Kaner scoring as time is expiring shorthanded, but it's just so much cooler when you hear the players or the coaches mm-hmm. say the same thing that the fans are thinking. And, you know, how can you not see those as the most memorable moments? Because the other thing you said, it was it was the pivotal game in that playoff series that really changed the series, and that was clearly the case in 2010 against Nashville. Uh, obviously, <laughs> that series against Detroit in 2013 was, was just totally flipped insanely on Brent Seabrook's game-winning goal. But yeah, it, it's just really cool when you hear the people who were a part of it, the reason why a team won a Stanley Cup or any type of championship, reminisce and go back to those instances. Um, but also, I I asked him the question that I did about it wasn't about him tailgating at the Bears game. That wasn't I didn't want to draw that out of him. It was mainly Today was the first day that Chicagoans could officially thank Joel Quinville. So what has it been since he got let go? You know, what interactions has he had with the fans? And it was essentially that. It was swapping stories of what the fans were doing uh, during those big games. Heck, I remember coming to a game early and John Whiteman is watching the highlights of the 2010 season. And uh, there was that game five against Nashville. And I told him what I was doing that day. <laughs> I was on a bar crawl in Iowa, but I'll never forget it because there were so many cool things that happened that day. But it's so cool to tell John Whiteman, the guy who is at the game, calling the game and has one of the most fantastic calls from that game. But it's so cool to, to swap the stories and, and where were you on this day? And you know what were you doing? And it, again, it's cool to see the people who caused it and were a reason why it happened, share the stories and just become a part of it. Well, I'm impressed that you were in a bar, bar crawl and you were able to remember uh, how, how you were feeling, what your emotions were at that particular moment. But yeah, there's a reason that winning the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win in all of sports. It's four series, um, you know, grinding through oftentimes seven games, the travel back and forth, the injuries that pile up, overcoming all of that. And as great as the 2013 team was in that shortened season, they had their come-to-Jesus moments at various parts in that postseason, especially against Detroit. And there were other twists and turns where, yeah, like I said earlier, everyone's thinking, all right, this is it. And somehow they managed those three great teams to dig down deep and uh, find a way to come through. And I think... It was easier for them as they, they went along. Granted, there was the wear and tear of so many multiple playoff series that they had to overcome. But knowing when they had been there previously, how to dig it up again, what they needed to do. And I thought, uh, that's fascinating. And you heard Q say that. You can probably hear all the all the players say that as well. It's it's those, it's those moments where things hang in the balance um, that they remember most. So that was Q pregame. So we go through the game, and basically – the Hawks play the Florida Panthers pretty well first and third period. The second period was an absolute disaster, and it was just a matter of a couple things getting away from them. Credit the Florida Panthers for playing the way they had, but I thought the the, the middle of the ice where the Blackhawks had defended so well during the course of this 10 out of 14, five in a row and 10 out of 14 run, it got a little loose a couple times, and then Ryan Carpenter, who has been so instrumental in turning this penalty kill around, you know, just being unable to, to clear the puck out of the zone, perhaps, you know, trying to do a little bit too much rather than make the simple play. They're able to keep the puck in the zone the Panthers are and able to turn that into a power play goal after Kirby Doc had made it 3-1. to one, uh, And that was a, a 4-1 deficit right before the end of the second period. So that in all, 
led Joel Quenville to become the winning coach in his return here. Uh, victory number 417, 418 overall, I believe, uh, as the number two winning coach in, in NHL history. So he was able to celebrate a victory afterwards. Uh, 4-3 was the final. Um, we haven't touched on, and maybe we will when we come out of this, the, the first period um, uh, scoreboard tribute during the first TV timeout. That was the first thing he was asked about. Again, the Blackhawks did a wonderful job of putting it all together, and there was a loud ovation, stick taps from all the Blackhawks on the ice, hand claps from Jeremy Carlton, and, and the crowd perhaps cheering Q louder than they cheered Patrick Kane um, before the game for the celebration of his 1,000. I don't know. I think it was pretty close myself. But anyway, that video tribute was the first thing Q was asked when he met with the media after the 4-3 victory. Yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, I felt unbelievable. It was a great feeling. Uh, you know, he captured some special moments in the building when we, the enthusiasm and the excitement and the noise and Caners starting the game off like that and the building was rocking. It was it felt like a different game and, uh, you know, that was had some importance to it and it was a, uh, you know, so it was a, a special, you know, it was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, saying thank you to, to, to me and I was thanking them and it was uh, you know it was it was all good so it was a uh, you know felt felt great and uh, you know it was made a little interesting at the end of the game but that was certainly a, a memorable event that uh, I'm thankful for. You looked like a proud dad during that cane ceremony. It was like you were beaming up there. <laughs> well, I was watching some of those goals he scored, and I remember, okay, that L.A. one-timer up the top part of the net, and uh, I don't know who's got the puck uh, in Philly. <laughs> um, and some great moments, big goals, huge goals. Um, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, Kane, it was, uh, you know, he's a privilege to coach. I've had, uh, I'm very fortunate to coach some of the all-time great players in the game. And, uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's a special player, and you got to love players that want the puck. And once they get it, they can do a lot of things with it. He's he's as good as anybody in that area. Jonathan said that you probably got a bigger ovation than Kaner did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. That was Kaner. Kaner, is, uh, it was a, uh, you know, it was good seeing Johnny out there. Johnny looked like he's uh, he's got some real pace to his game. And, you know, when you think and you see dunks, and I saw Steve before the game, and, you know, saw Crow before the game and the trainers and, and the guys. And so it's a, uh, a lot of great memories, everybody in the building, you know, you guys as well. So it's a uh, some good reflecting back on uh, different experiences we had. And uh, it's like when I left here, I mean, it was, it's, you know, the, the bitterness that you think you might have uh, leaving something here would have been, would have been prevalent, but uh, I didn't have any of uh, that type of feeling. And it was basically, uh, you know, the memories were too special and, and uh, recapturing it here and immediately uh, you could have that same sense as why it uh, was like that. And I show a lot of appreciation for, for everyone here. And, uh, you know, it's a great place to play and uh, special fans and fun building and, you know, great organization. So thanks. To be able to come back here with Kitch and with Dale, does that make it just even more special for you? Yeah, we're, we're in there. Kitch, I was happy for Kitch uh, tonight. Uh, you know, Kitch, uh, you know, was off for a few a few, a few years here and uh, coming back and getting his uh, excitement uh, at a high level. And, uh, you know, he's back in this uh, job position knowing that uh, he loves doing what he's doing and brings passion Dale you know we were at that stage uh, earlier we talked about uh, this team being comparable to where we were a long time ago here um, but we still got tons of work to do um, but there's there's some upside here that we're you know we got to make sure that uh, what we have and the job we have 
ahead of us is going to be very challenging, but uh, you know, there's some excitement to, to what's going on right now, and it's been fun. So Joel's team comes up with a couple of huge victories to close out their first half. They went in dramatic fashion Monday in Minnesota. Did the Hawks a favor, actually, by by winning in regulation the final seconds against the Wild, but then taking care of business here against the Blackhawks. But let's circle back to that uh, first intermission, uh, first intermission, first time out in the first period tribute, uh, which is the way all NHL teams usually do it when they have a returnee coming and uh, they want to pay their uh, honor and respects to that particular former coach or player. In this instance, the coach, Joe Quenville, uh, a great video put together. Joe was up there watching it and just a a huge chilling ovation afterwards. And you can tell he was kind of getting a little, a little emotional there, too, as we got to see him a little bit closer up on, on the huge scoreboard here. I tweeted out, it, it felt like the anthem. It, it was just cheering constantly as this montage is going through with a song and, and all the, I mean, cue dancing while holding the Stanley Cup, a cigar in his mouth, being doused in beer. Um, and then they go to the shot of his face, and you could tell he started to get a little bit choked up, and the cheers got louder, and, you know, you thought you might see a, a little teardrop out of his eye, but... Uh, man, that was so cool. Um, it, the, the ovation just grew and grew and grew. And the other thing that I thought that was really cool, right after the first puck drop, fans are chanting, Q, Q, I mean, just right away. So there was kind of no escaping it, but also I get that's why these NHL teams do it at the first break of, of the first intermission because, all right, let's get out of the way and then let's play some hockey. But uh, uh, kudos to the Blackhawks promotion staff, too, with the Patrick Kane video. That yeah. was fantastic, too. And I love what they did with the phones. Not only was it so cool to see all these thousands of blinking lights throughout the United Center, it really irks me when I see people taking videos of these videos because it's just, come on, man, just live in the moment, just watch it. And I'm not one of those, oh, millennials are just have their nose buried in their phones all the time. It's just any quality of that video will be available online when you get home and it'll be way better than yours. And don't you want to just, just absorb it all, like feel it, hear it, see it and be, you're, you're a part of it. If if your app is on, you're not recording it. So, you know, your phone is flashing to the music and it's just such a cooler environment. So I was really, I was really pleased with the Blackhawks doing that. Uh, I thought the Kane thing was cool too. And I also, I thought it was very cool how Dennis Savard came out and Kane's three coaches we're all within 100 feet of them in one instance. And, I, I mean, I don't think it was planned that way or anything like that, but it, it just happened that way, and I thought it was really cool. It was very full circle for Patrick Kane with his whole family there, too. Yeah, and his first coach at the NHL level, Savvy, giving him the golden puck. And, yeah, his family was finally here. And it was so ironic that Dad's always at every single home game and couldn't get there for uh, the 1,000th point in person on Sunday but uh, yeah, another another very loud ovation. I'm not sure splitting hairs which one was louder. They were both loud and both very well deserved. And before we get to some Blackhawks post game reaction on this, uh, one thing I brought up with Troy is, is now it's not to forget what Joel has done because that will never be forgotten what he did in this franchise. But it closes a chapter, you know. And now you can get on to business. Everyone. As I said, had this game circled for a very long time, and now that this first one is out of the way, yeah, he'll be welcome back whenever he does come back in the future, but this first one was so significant, and now it's like, uh, okay, that's out of the way. We can move on. Again, not that it's not supposed to be forgotten, but we can move on, and and, uh, things can kind of return back to normal without 
the magnitude of this day coming in and overshadowing everything. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And something that Troy Murray mentioned in the broadcast at the beginning, and I fully agree with, is Jeremy Colleton's approach to this whole thing. I mean, this is a guy that, that was not entirely welcomed by fans right at the beginning. but it still isn't to a degree. You're right, you're right. I mean, there, there have been boos recently. Um, but I, I still think that's more of fans wishing that Joel Quinville was still here. It's not, it's not a knock on Jeremy Collins. I mean, I'm sure people have those opinions, but that, that's beside the point. Um, I, I love what Jeremy said, how it was today was an opportunity for him to thank Joel. And the first thing he said, too, the other day was, it's a big night for the organization. Like, he realizes, mm-hmm. as he should, that... You know, Joel had done so much for this organization and the franchise that, yes, the fans need an opportunity to thank him. But, you know, Jeremy is is really grateful for everything that Joel did for him. Um, He said that's a big reason why he's with the Blackhawks in the first place, because Joel was in place. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a coach in the minor league system underneath a head coach like that? Um, so I, I agree with you. Just a, a chance to close this book, move on. I think all the players got what they wanted out of their one last time to say thank you to Q, especially the fans, and that's that's going to be tough to top. I, I said on Twitter, what has been a more or what has been a bigger regular season game at the United Center than today? I mean, it, it was a very cool day to be a part of. Yeah, and, and part of it, and making it easier for Jeremy, was the fact the way the team has been playing for the last month or six weeks or so. Uh, winners in, in 10 of the last 14, a five-game winning streak. And um, I think I think that made things a little bit easier. And I think, you know, uh, unless you're downright anti-Jeremy, I think it, it gives fans a little bit of hope because this is the second straight year. Yeah, the Blackhawks are going to have to learn to start faster in seasons because last year under Joel, this year under Jeremy, uh, now they're constantly playing catch-up. Well, now they're close to have catch- have caught up. A second straight year under Jeremy here. So I think that should be an indicator to fans what he is capable of doing, You know, making adjustments and tweaks whenever. And now we get to see uh, how this rolls out once they do come back from the break. But We'll talk a little bit about that uh, before we wrap up here, but let's get some post-game reaction from the Blackhawks locker room after this 4-3 loss about uh, Joel, about momentum, you know, taking just a little bit of a dip here before they go into the break and having to sit on this one for the better part of a week and a half. And um, also, uh, you'll hear the goalie, Robin Leonard, who is also... It was always very honest in assessing overall team play, being very honest with thinking, with saying that he didn't think he was as sharp as he usually is. And I think most observers saw that a little bit tonight. So first you'll hear from Jonathan Taves here, followed by Robin Leonard. And then we'll come out and reset and uh, hear from the birthday boy, Kirby Doc, who got on the score sheet a couple of times. Again, here's the captain. I mean, we, we had our chances uh, in the first and the, really in the second, and we just weren't strong enough defensively. And, probably the second half of the second period so we gave them too much and give them a, a 4-1 lead uh, it's tough to come back from that it's one of those games we, you've been playing so well collectively that it just tricked off at this point uh, yeah we will now I mean we were, we wanted that win we wanted the two points I think when things are going well you want to keep them going and not take it for granted and um, unfortunately we let it slip to Jonathan I don't know emotions? if you with Q being there, winter on the ice, do you just forget about it? Or no, I mean, I, th- I think that ovation was incredible. I think uh, all of us that played for him were, were all smiles. Um, his ovation might have been bigger than Kaner's. I don't know. It was a close <laughs> call. Uh, but obviously, the fans uh, showing him lots of love and respect, so pretty cool to see. How hard is it to play against a system that you were in for so long? I mean, uh, 
there's some there's some holes in it for sure uh, <laughs> just didn't expose it off, often enough so you, you kind of knew uh, what's coming a little bit but uh, playing against that top line they're pretty solid and they're, they're good defensively as well too so they didn't give up much what's going through your head during that ovation sorry what's going through your head during that ovation um no just just pretty cool to uh to see him get that reception coming back here um so i have a lot of respect for him as a person as a, as a coach thankful to uh spent those great years playing for him and pretty cool to see what he accomplished as a coach here and what he meant to the fans considering where you guys are in this, where you are in the standings and after this five game winning streak do you feel like the playoffs are attainable after you guys pause for let's see why not uh i think there's just still way more potential another level we can get to and that's our goal is to just keep focusing on those little details and, and uh, the results will come. So um, been playing good hockey and I think everyone is buying in, playing for each other, and it's a lot more fun to come to the rink when we're doing those things. And like I said, the wins come when you're playing right and you're playing for each other. Yeah, it does. You want to go have a win, of, of course. You know, we're, we won five in a row. Uh, as I said, you know, I would team uh, everyone personally would like to finish off with a win uh, said it's been a good stretch uh, put ourselves in a good position for a good push after the break but uh, yeah I uh, I don't think it was a step back at all I think uh, um, I need to make a couple more saves today and we we would have been right in the game and I didn't so just regroup and go back go back at it the way you guys battled back in the third period, does that make it easier to have the break with something like that? No, as, uh, as I said, I think we played a good game. I, I really think we played a good game. I, uh, um, a couple of goals I, I shouldn't have let in, and uh, they went in, and it's part of my position. Uh, you know, I pride myself, try to be as consistent as possible. I think I've been, uh, but it happens. Uh, I should have tried to stop the bleeding a little quicker, and it didn't happen today, and we battled back, and we didn't give up. And again, I thought we played well. As always, Mr. Honesty, Robin Leonard, laying it all there out on the line and being a little self-critical of, of his performance. And, um, yeah, I mentioned at the top, I was a little surprised that Corey didn't get the start. I, I don't think you can argue against giving Robin the start based on the way he's played, but he was just a little bit of a notch below what we've been used to seeing. And uh, Bobrovsky was a little bit better. And then when you all add that up with some of the – Things that we pointed out earlier, especially during the course of that second period, it ends up in, in a uh, in a loss uh, to head into the break. Um, but the kid, the 19-year-old birthday boy, uh, had himself another impressive game. And and Joe, I, I continue to be, um, I, I continue to marvel at what a kid at that young age, how his overall game or how his lack of offense recently, up until these last two games, hasn't allowed his overall game to slip. Because if you recall, when they first made the decision that Kirby was going to stay up for the rest of the season, Jeremy said, it doesn't mean he's going to play every game. We're going to pick his spots to rest him. There's going to be times he probably needs to be rested. Well, here he is, game in and game out. And we haven't seen his 200-foot play slip at all, even as he struggled through, until Sunday night when he broke a string of having one point in 28 games he got an assist on uh, Sunday night and then had a goal and an assist on his 19th birthday here on Tuesday. And uh, before we hear from Kirby, j- just your thoughts on how the kid has just shown amazing maturity and make, it, it makes you even more excited about who he's going to be four and five years from now. It, w- it was the second intermission he talked with the crew, right? Mm-hmm. And he said that Jonathan Taves has been a big reason why 
Uh, he's helped him with his full-on game and how that can help his, his offense still click even when maybe everything else hasn't worked out. But, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But that's that's just kind of him. He's he's a big, physical guy. He's he's always willing to work hard. He's always willing to go after the puck. He, he plays off the puck very well. Um, but I, I really liked his approach today. He went towards the net a lot more aggressive than he normally is. He's got that great backhand that he scored the goal on today. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. A, a fantastic work ethic at 18, now 19 years old. Um, but, man, that, that's been the case right from the get-go. And I don't know, maybe that's what the Hawks saw so much in him when they drafted him, just mm-hmm. just that work ethic and that, and that willingness to, to always – you know, always be a factor when even your your best game isn't available because that's what we've seen from Kirby Doc lately. Yeah, and if anything, he is being told he's got to shoot more, be more aggressive when he has the shot. Don't defer when you have that possibility of, of putting a puck right on net and be a little bit more decisive in those offensive rushes. I think that's one thing that may stand out. But anyway, let's hear from the birthday boy afterwards after he contributed a goal and an assist in the 4-3 loss to Florida. The win would have been nice, and that's kind of where my focus is. is a team game and trying to help us win. Um, we're fighting for our lives in the playoffs right now, and uh, the, this loss is—it's uh, things right now. But we, we have a the break coming up, so we got we got to take some time to ourselves and, and regroup and come back hungry and, and ready to go. Good for you personally to get on the board again. Thirteen games, <laughs> Yeah, it feels good. Um, obviously, you always like to score and, and want to score. So for me, it's uh, it's a long time coming. But I mean, I felt confident in my game, and I just knew that uh, I got to keep going, and eventually they'll go in. Have you scored on your birthday before? Uh, uh, maybe when I was little. I, I can't remember any recent ones, though. What's the backhand? You scored a few on backhands this year. Is that something that's been part of your game? Yeah. Um, I mean, as a kid, uh, I'd always kind of work on, on backhand shots and just getting that strength and to hold pucks on your backhand side because, uh, I mean, growing up, uh, an example would be Kaner. I mean, watched him growing up all the time and how well he uses his backhand and protects the puck on his backhand and, and shoots and passes with it. And, uh, I kind of took that and, and tried to learn that at a young age to, to have that strength on that backhand side. What's been the difference for this team facing a deficit, moving late into the game, feeling more composed now, though? Yeah, um, I think we, we've we found a way to, to play without a lead, and, and I think the big thing for our group right now is to, is to find a way to, to play with a lead. I mean, when we get leads sometimes, we, we seem to sit back and, and, and not uh, press forward, but uh, we need to find that urgency we had in the third period and, and play with that throughout the whole game and, and find a way to play a complete 60 minutes. It's a tough night to get a sit for 10 days on this loss. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, you're, you're obviously going to sit on it for a couple of days, but at the same time, it's good to, to have the break and, and enjoy some downtime and, and relax and rest up for the rest of the season. Do you have any plans for the, for the break? <sighs> no, no major plans. Just kind of heading home. I'm going to go watch my brother. He's got a couple of home games, so spend some time with him. Slapshot questions. Tweet your questions to the guys at Boda Tweets and at Joe underscore brand one for your questions to be read on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you to those of you who did respond to our request for uh, questions here on the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast presented by FanList using the hashtag Slapshots. And uh, let's get to a few of them. Um, our our uh, Twitter friends over at This Day in Chicago Sports, uh, a twofer. Is Patrick Kane the best American to ever lace him up? I'm going to have to say yes. Get back to me when Patrick retires, and let's see how Austin Matthews does between now and then, whether he can win any Cups. But that's the bar. Three Stanley Cups. 
Um, so I, I think he is. And does anyone have better facial hair than Joel Quenville? I don't know. It's the old mustache crew, the, the championship mus- mustache crew of Joel, Phil, Ditka, and Ozzy. But Joel's has to be among uh, among the most famous. So uh, please weigh in, Mr. <laughs> yeah, of course, the hard-hitting <laughs> questions that we've got here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty much what do you like better, a uh, brunette mustache or a or the aging gray mustache? Because the two best mustaches in Chicago are obviously between Ditka and Quinville. So it's just pretty much what do you like better, the the young gun or the uh, the sly silver fox? And, yeah, and Phil was more beard beard too. So and. Uh, Kane, best American. He still has some guys that he is going to catch. He's only 31, and you know he's talking about wanting to play till he's 40. I can certainly see that happening um, unless things start breaking down. But uh, I think when all is said and done, by the time he is finished, I think it's going to be very clear he is. Then it's just a matter of uh, how successful some of his red, white, and blue successors become. Yeah, I agree. Um Say his career were to end today for whatever reason, he's he's a Hall of Famer. Um, but when it's all said and done, yeah, I, I think Patrick Kane is going to be the best American hockey player in history. Um, man, just what an explosive guy. I, I don't know. It, it, people have had this conversation before. It's just it's really hard to work your way around it. I remember being in college and. You know, it was appointment television to watch the Blackhawks. As it still is now, <laughs> clearly, because it's part of the job. But, you know, back then it was just, Kane was just always a guy that can make things happen. And that's still what he is. It's his, it's his puck handling skills. It's his ability to, to find the right guys, to be found constantly. And uh, the one thing I'm really appreciating Patrick Kane recently is his love for the game, but just his, his observance and his, his memory skills and how he remembers his goals and his how he knows so much about the game and about the game's past and the history. And, uh, you know, when he got his 1,000th point and they, they asked, what, what's that? What's that mean to you to do that as a Blackhawk? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool being the first American because, you know, guys like Chelios and, uh, and JR never got there. You know, it's just so quick to it. And I know that's, that's common sense, but, it, you know, it's just so cool to hear him just jump to those names right away because that's fresh in his head and he instantly remembers something like that because he just grew up being a hockey sponge and he's, he's being squeezed out to every last drop right now. Yeah, and uh, Amy, your friend Amy, uh, tweeted us, uh, winning championships aside, what actions and traits made or make you so loved by his former players and Chicagoans? Well, one, part of the championship formula, but I think it's also the way. It works hand in hand and... We talked about his humility and generosity with spreading the credit from his time here. But it takes two to tango. And if he doesn't have you know, the right players to play with and, and to coach, and them understanding where their leash is with him. It's funny, I asked Patrick Kane uh, after morning skate, you know, uh, Early on during Joel's time in what was Patrick's second year here, along with Jonathan Taves, early on in his tenure, once he took over Dennis Savard, it was a handful of games in where he sat Patrick Kane, had to teach him a lesson for a good period or so, I think, in a game down in Arizona, or at least that's what Patrick remembered. It was Arizona. <laughs> and uh, just to get his message across. And Patrick seemed to remember that Brent Seabrook went through the same thing in that very game. And that's how, how he sends his message was... Very unique, but very clear. 
And I don't know if uh, Joe was ever a guy who gets up in anybody's faces. He left that to the people within the room, and I think that's why he was crediting his players so much in terms of where they got their motivation from. But all that works hand-in-hand, and I I don't know if there has ever been a more perfect combination of right place, right time, right team, right person as Joe Quenville when he took over at that point for that Blackhawks team that was on the, on the verge. And I love Dennis Savard. And I, w- I wish he would have gotten more of an opportunity, but then when you see how this all played out, Savvy himself tells you he was. In retrospect, as much as it hurt at the time, it was the right move to make, and we, we've seen the results uh, afterwards here. Well, let's also face it. I mean, Joel, Joel Quinville is an intimidating guy. Um, I mean, just, just the sound of his voice, the, his constant resting face always looks like he's mad at you. But he, he's a guy that walks into a room, and you respect him, but that's also because he respects his players from the moment he, he takes over a job. And... Um, Jonathan Taves was talking about it earlier today, too. He's he's a 20-year-old captain, and Joel Quinville let him be him. He let him be a player. I mean, they always say the best championship teams are, are made up with the perfect mixture of veterans and, and rookies, or at least young guys, to, to create the right recipe for winning. And, you know, you, you read all these stories now about that 2010 team that the entire team would go and hang out and, you know, whether or not they would party till the sun came up they they did so because they could win but because they had a lot of trust in their coach and the coach still had a lot of trust in them i mean it was just such a good marriage um i i think it's his personality his his ability to work with young and old players and just the amount of respect he's given and he is uh received is what makes him such a, a likable person. Yeah, and he's got this Florida team pointed in the right direction. I'm curious to see. I, you know, I, I think they're a little bit thin on the defensive side, or they need more defensively. Uh, that's that you can tell that in the numbers. They're the number one goal scoring team in the league, or goals per game. They're 25th in goals against average, and you know that probably drives Joel up a wall. Um, so. He's got some veteran guys back there on the blue line. There may be some supplements necessary, uh, whether he does it at the trade deadline this year or in the offseason, to shore that area up if he gets that. And if Sergei Bobrovsky doesn't disappoint, because quite frankly, he's been a little disappointing this season with his numbers for all the money they gave him. Uh, I'm curious to see how far these Panthers can go. Finally, uh, our friend Margot, why are the Blackhawks so flat after being on fire for five games? She sent us this, I think, during the, the course of the game when they fell behind 4-1. I don't know if they're necessarily flat, Joe. I thought they played a a pretty good first period. wasn't perfect by any means, but they were right there with neck and neck with Florida. The second period just got away from them. It was a bad period. Florida continued to maintain its level of play, and that's why they were able to score four goals in that period. We mentioned the mistakes, you know, just leaving the middle of the ice a little bit too wide open. Robin Leonard not being as sharp. Uh, the mistake, the rare one by Ryan Carpenter on the penalty kill. And then you come back and look at the third period. When they needed to push, they pushed, and they got within 4-3, just unable to close the deal. So while this is a loss, while it is a game where you come up with zero points when you really would have loved to inch a little bit closer and and sit there and think about two points rather than zero heading into this long break. I don't know if it was necessarily a bad game. It was just kind of a bad period where just Florida was a little bit better at the time. Yeah, I agree. I I will say when the game started, I didn't feel like the Hawks were off to as great of a surge as they had in the past or or what most people thought. But as as that first period progressed, uh, they coughed up no shots on goal 
to the Florida Panthers in the final 11 minutes, and they even had a power play. Um, so they, they were doing a lot of things right, but yeah, that's, that second period is what became deflating. But let's face it, this has been the, the Blackhawks' problem pretty much all year long, is not playing a consistent 60 minutes. The moral victory in today's game is they played a solid first period, and they picked up the energy again in the third, but it wasn't there for that middle stanza, and that's the period that Florida did most of their damage. Um, yeah, I, I want to go back to what, what you were talking about with Corey Crawford not getting the start in net today. And, and not to do this in hindsight, because Robin Leonard had a very rare bad game. Um, but it, it is a little odd that Jeremy Colleton didn't go with that, because that's kind of his thing. He, yeah. He's addressed that this year. He played Slater Cuckoo against Tampa. He he let Robin Leonard, not let, he, he put Robin Leonard in net. Um, against his old team in the Islanders, and he, he even said that that's kind of a reciprocal thing for players playing in front of their former teams, but in this case it would have been Crawford's former coach, and you mentioned the numbers too. So that was a little interesting, especially with Leonard playing Sunday, but again, everything's easier to do in hindsight. Um, I, I, again, it, it's just it's interesting to see him go that route, but it, I, I don't think I, I don't think they looked flat. I don't. They, they, were, they looked flat in instances, but not flat the entire game. Yeah, and, and Corey has been his last five games. He has been every bit as good as Robin has been. You know, there are times this season where he hasn't, but lately Corey Corey has been. Uh, I mentioned ten goals against in his last five games. It's a nine thirty save percentage, and again, great numbers all time versus Florida. So, thank you for your slap shots questions. We're going to keep coming at you again, so uh, be ready for our uh, next podcast, which is going to be a while from now. And let's uh, touch on that before we wrap up, because this schedule, uh, first of all, as we take a look at the standings and, and tape here following the game on Tuesday, with a win on Tuesday, the Blackhawks would have bumped up to 56 points ahead of Winnipeg and within one of the wild card position. Instead, they remain at 54. Winnipeg, which has been slumping of late, they do get to play at Columbus before their break. They play at Columbus on Wednesday, so there's an opportunity for them. They will draw even in games played, but if the Blue Jackets are able to take care of business and regulation, Hawks don't lose any ground to the Jets. Arizona is already on its break. They're at 57, holding the second wild card. Vegas holding the first wild card at 57 after they lost for the sixth time in seven games with a coaching move in between. Um, So this this very good recent Blackhawks run combined with a couple of other teams coming back to the pack. Yes, missed opportunity on Tuesday night. But then you look at it on the other side of things. Blackhawks are going to be sitting around until a week from Saturday before they play Arizona. And the Coyotes will have played two games by the time they get to face the Blackhawks. Their bye started a little bit earlier, but they have dropped five of their previous six. Finally got Antti Ranta back. Kemper remains sidelined for now. So that's another team having some issues. But as we look ahead, (laughs) you've got one home game between now and February 19th. You have three home games between now and March 3rd. So you're going to get a whole lot of white jerseys for the Blackhawks over the course of the next six weeks or so. And maybe that's a good thing with the way they have been playing on the road. But Boston Wednesday, February 5th, the Rangers Wednesday, February 19th, and then two nights later on a Friday night, Nashville comes to town. So amidst all that, a two-game roadie, a five-game roadie, a four-game roadie, before you get a heavy March, uh, heavy home schedule for the remainder of the regular season. And 
Drake Kajula's come back. He has looked good. You like to see the point streaks, what you're getting from Kubalik and Taves and Kane and Brandon Sods played well since returning from injury. You'd think you're going to get Dylan Strom back, uh, if not right after the break, uh, shortly thereafter. And uh, with the way the defense has tightened up, I asked Patrick Kane when he joined us in the postgame show Sunday after that 1,000th point, I asked him, what's different this year than a year ago when you guys also went on a run right before the All-Star break, picked it up once that break was over, got back into that playoff spot for 45 minutes, but then weren't able to keep it up. What's different this year? How can you How can you sustain that a little bit more this year? Why are you more encouraged? And he said, because I think we're playing a better all. Right now we're playing a better all overall 200-foot game, especially in our zone. The style of play is more sustainable to winning if we can continue to play that way. And I think he threw in the, the you know having two number one goaltenders as well. So we will see. That gives me reason for optimism. But again, they got to go out and do that, and you got to take care of business as they have been very inconsistent doing when you have those head-to-head matchups against the teams that you have to beat in over to climb over. Well, last year. Um you know, Jeremy Colleton takes over. The the team seems seems to still be in distraught, and then they flip the switch and they start figuring things out. But you got to remember that that was a team in its first year figuring out the new structure with the new head coach. This year, it's the second year, but also guys like Brent Seabrook are no longer playing this season, and there are a lot of rookies that have come up this year with Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist and. So you've got a young core now figuring out this new system where that's all they know at the NHL level. And I also feel like their consistent play is what has allowed this team to be a little bit more deeper. Clearly they've found a good scoring streak with, uh, although it ended today, Dominic Kubelik, but he's showing what he can do offensively. And this structure that they keep hounding does seem to figure out. The one thing that Hawks fans need to know, every loss is going to hurt very badly, and that's because the Hawks are on the outside looking in right now, so every game seems to be like a must-win. Yes, today would have been incredible if the Hawks could have won. They'd be one point out of the wild card sitting behind Arizona and Vegas, but like you said, after that break, they face the Coyotes, who get to have the break and also get to have a couple of games to get themselves in motion, um, but, but I think the road schedule will help. It, it should, because it, it seems to have so far this season. Um, but yeah, Hawks fans got to buckle up because when they lose a game, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt bad because they, they're just so close to the playoff standings right now. You just want to take advantage of every single thing possible. That, that recent road trip was so great because they were gaining at least one point against a team in the Eastern Conference. So it didn't really matter. But now, now we're getting into the stage of, yes, those two points are very pivotal. Yeah. So either that or this is the very worst time to have a break because you've been playing so well and you come back all rusty. But <laughs> and, and a particular stretch to circle here when they do come back. And again, every stretch, every sequence is going to be very important. But after they go to Arizona and Minnesota, come home to play Boston on the 5th, that next road trip, that five-game road trip that starts and ends in Winnipeg, and in between you go to Western Canada, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary. Who are the teams you're fighting out against, fighting up against? It's those teams right there. And that is could be a swing sequence 
of a road trip, a five-game road trip, where are you going to hang around and keep making things interesting and push for the playoffs, or are you not going to take advantage of that opportunity against those teams you're battling it out with who have exactly the same mindset as you do when they see the Blackhawks come to town? So that's going to be uh, really important. Anyway, any final thoughts? You had some exciting high school hockey that you covered uh, last week, right? Uh, are they top two teams in the uh, in, in the state right now? Top two teams. Nutria Green beat Glenbrook North, the Spartans. Uh, Saturday night, final score was 4-2. to two. You were Pierre Maguire, I, I understand. Was, I was, yeah. I was the uh, CN100 version of Pierre Maguire. It was fun. It was a blast. I really, I really had a fun time. Um, boy, it is such a different view than being up at the uh, nosebleeds of, of the United Center. Um, and that's high school. I know, I know. They are fast. They are loud. They are vulgar. Um, I cats out of the bag. I never played hockey as a kid, so that was like one of my first experiences being next to a bench and uh, taking that all in. But boy, it was fun. Uh, kudos to those coaches. We talked with uh, Bob Melton. He was fantastic. Evan Poulakitis, who told me in Greek his last name means little chicken, um, but he was a he was a fireball of energy on the side or on the. On the bench, too. Uh, yeah, two very, very talented hockey teams, and uh, that place was electric. There was, there was a good fan section. Uh, Charlie Ackery had the the go ahead and two cushion goals. Um, it, it was just, it, it was a very fun day. I was hoping, hoping to get more. Two high school powerhouses. Who knows? We may end up seeing them square off for the state championship here. They have done that before, and uh, come late March, perhaps those are the two teams squaring off uh, in that particular matchup. So uh, that's a wrap for our Blackhawks Crazy podcast. Uh, since there isn't much to talk about, and they're not going to be in town, we're not going to do our next Blackhawks Crazy podcast until following the next home game, which is. We'll tape Wednesday, February 5th after that matchup against Boston. It'll drop Wednesday the 6th. So hang tight. Uh, we're only missing three games to talk about between now and then. So uh, there won't be a whole – well, I'm, I'm sure by that time there will be a whole lot to talk about with those three games. But in any event, we want to thank you for listening. Thanks for all your Slapshots questions. Thanks to uh, FanList as well for being our presenting sponsor once again. And, again, we if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes uh, over on Apple Podcasts. Again, we'll always connect to the link through WGNRadio.com on Twitter and on Facebook. Thanks as well to Ernie Skatton, to Joe here for work in the locker room after uh, the big night against the Florida Panthers. Same to Curtis Koch, who is hacking and chopping this thing up and making it all sound fairly pretty as much as possible. And uh, again, to you for listening. Enjoy the bye week yourselves. You get a bye from us for a little bit, but we'll talk to you again after the game against Boston, and that will be Thursday morning, February 6th. Have a great couple of weeks, everyone. How about that? The Hawks win the Stanley Cup! Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great!